Welcome to the Optimal Human Podcast. I am Coach K. And I'm Coach P. And we're here to set the record straight on everything fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle. Teachers trying to make a change, trying to make a difference. All right. So in today's episode, episode quattro, quattro. which is four for Spanish. Look at me being bilingual here. Four for um, Spanish means Spanish for four. <laughs> it's something. <laughs> yeah. Edits. Not happening. Uh, anyway. <laughs> You know what? Now you corrected me because I corrected you in episode two. Now you're correcting me in this episode four. It's a simpatico relationship. It's just that's how we work together. Anyway, <laughs> in in this one, we're talking about you being a big sack of chemicals in a metabolic wasteland. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is that we're gonna t- right what we're gonna be talking about metabolism and how calories in and calories out actually matters, despite what you know some people struggle with, and sometimes it seems that it's not working. And really, what's going on there? Then we're gonna give you uh, you know the lowdown on some the basics of macronutrients and how you should focus on these for diet and exercise. And of course, we're going to give you some tips on weight loss. So without further ado, welcome to episode four. All right, so we're going to be talking about calories, metabolism, macronutrients, and why that matters for weight loss, for exercise, for performance, for bodybuilding. Because um, like we mentioned, I think it was in the first episode. I don't know if we mentioned this in the other two episodes uh, so far. We but have touched on it in our casual weekend. Touched on it. But I, I'm, get, I'm going back to bodybuilding. So I've, I've competed, you know. I don't know how many times, four or five, maybe maybe six times in the past. And it's been about six years since I've competed. So I'm getting back into it. And part of our, uh, well, I guess I'm going to be logging my journey on social media and we'll be talking about on the podcast, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's, uh, well, I think it brings up. Then kick it off. What's the whole purpose of calories in versus oh. calories out? And why is there such a big, just uproar when people say, but what about this? Or I did this, or I cut this out and I still <laughs> didn't lose weight. All right. So you remember when your teacher told you in grade school that you're going to use math? Guess what? You're using math. That's pretty. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. All right, and it's it's obviously much more complex than just a simple subtraction problem. But at the same time, it is kind of the simple subtraction problem. So calories in versus calories out. What that basically means. If you've never heard of this before, uh, which most people probably listening to this right now have, but uh, what that means is that you consume say 2,000 calories a day and utilize. 2,500 calories a day, that means you are going to be losing weight. Why? Because you're utilizing more calories than what you're consuming. So you have to dip into your stores, i.e. fat, glycogen, and hopefully not protein, but you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a deeper topic for another time. Mm-hmm. So in other words, um, <clears throat> if you want to lose weight, eat less calories than you're actually uh, utilizing, and then... Uh, You'll lose weight. And I think when people usually ask that question, they say, well, how can I figure that out for myself? And the first thing is first, well, you have to educate on what your basal metabolic rate and you have to educate on what the whole total daily energy expenditure is. So Absolutely. Your, your basal metabolic rate is the total amount of calories you need just to sustain your physiological processes if you just lie down in bed all day long. Exactly. And when it comes down to your total daily energy expenditure, it's your BMR plus your total amount of physical activity that you do. And that includes everything from getting your ass up in the morning out of bed. Brushing teeth. Brushing teeth, reaching for the cereal on the top of the shelf. Taking a dump. Taking a dump. <laughs> <laughs> everything that, that is not you lying in bed doing nothing. That is, that is, that's activity. Um, we, not, we may not classify, we may not log it in our Fitbit or Apple Watch or whatever, but that is activity. The fact that I'm talking to you right now, and you can't see me, but I, I, I talk a lot with my hands. So... I'm doing physical activity. That's uh, that's contributing to my calories out part of that equation. And then we actually forgot the thermic effect of food as well. Oh, boy. Uh, Because it does take a little bit of calories to process food and digest, especially high fiber types of foods. And protein. So we'll we'll talk about that here uh, probably later on in uh, 20 minutes or so. (laughs) So anyway, calories calories in versus calories out. Simple equation. All right, there's two variables. And then you you get um you get an answer essentially right so uh, you you consume X amount of calories and you utilize X amount of calories now the problem with this because there's a large portion uh, of of the we'll just say the population that that doesn't agree well calories in versus calories out doesn't work for me no it does you just don't know what those two variables are <laughs> so either a those Twinkies you're jamming into your mouth in the middle of the night <laughs> are contributing to your calories in which they do. 
or you have no idea how many calories you're utilizing. And that's okay. And I'm not saying that you're wrong and that you should, you know, whatever, um, that you're a bad person because you don't know how many calories you're utilizing or, or consuming, but it's, it's math. You can't get around it. There's no way you can get around it. And there's no fast, easy way to go about it except for consistent day in, day out, being in a deficit. Exactly. Um, um, and that's, that's really the issue we see in the fitness industry today. Oh, lose 10 pounds in two weeks. I right. hate to break it to you. It, it's not possible. It's not a, or it's well, water weight. Exactly. I was like, I can lose 10 pounds in a day, but that's not 10 pounds of fat. Exactly. Which is why and, low carbohydrate diets are just the most inefficient way to try and lose weight. Keto, bro. Keto. Now, now, aren't you on keto? Is that... <laughs> that is a joke. Oh, I am not on I keto. I told you I was going to work this one. I am there. very anti keto. He, he loves keto. Like, I, right now, he's eating an avocado and, um, and if you call a bagel with cream cheese keto, then yeah. yeah actually, neither of us right are right eating now. anything right now. No. Um, it would mess with the mic. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the point is. Um, what was our point? <laughs> <laughs> uh, calories in versus calories out. So you got you got to know how many how many calories you're consuming and how many calories you're utilizing. So a lot of the issues. Let's just start with the calories in, where where people screw up is that they don't think about how they prepare food. I want to start there. They don't think about how they prepare food and how they're making it with butter. You know, they mix butter with their eggs. Well, guess what? Butter has calories and you're consuming that. A lot of calories. Um, and don't get me wrong. I love buttered eggs. Who doesn't? But I'm just not... put it in your coffee in the morning. Bulletproof mm-hmm. coffee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a, on that rant. That's another podcast in itself. Um <laughs> Oh man, really? You had to go there. I had to go there. But look, man, it's so much better for. I don't even. I don't remember what. Why don't we just take it up a notch and just go coconut oil? Coconut oil. You know, I tried that because I wanted to see what it was like. I was like, well, I like coconut oil. I like coffee. I'll give it a shot. Not that I thought it was going to be some magic. Um, So I put a little coconut oil in my coffee. I was like, oh, cool. So now I've got a thick layer of oil on top of my coffee. So in other words, I just drank some coconut oil and then drank my coffee. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, I tried it out too for the benefits. Didn't really feel different from my normal day with the breakfast. But you know what did happen over the course of three months? You got fat. Triglycerides. Oh. Well, that. <laughs> <laughs> Triglycerides went straight through the roof. Oh. Straight through the roof. And, and because it, we're off on a tangent of coconut oil right now. Now, now I I like coconut oil. Oh, it's, yeah. it's good. It's got it's a good source benefits. of fat. It, it definitely has health benefits. But. Um, not eight grams in my coffee. <laughs> well, exactly, and, and you know, and then and then the uh, it was the American Heart Association a couple of years ago came out like, well, it's so bad for you, it's gonna kill you or whatever they said. It's like, well, yeah, it's it's like eighty three percent saturated fats. Nobody's eating just coconut oil. American Heart Association, at least I hope not. If they are, then I, I'm with you. But if you put a little <laughs> bit of coconut oil in there, you're gonna be fine. Okay, it's a little bit of saturated fat, right under seven percent. If you if you look at American Heart Association and ten percent, if you look at, um, Lord, I forget what that organization is. I don't know, but the, the other recommendation is ten percent or less of your total caloric intake. Anyway, we're, we're kind of getting off topic here. Um, so let's get back to calories. Sure, and. The, the issues Please. that people have with calories in is where you're going. Okay, so the issues that people have with calories in is that, is that once again, people try it and it doesn't work. Uh, there's a couple of reasons why. So uh, we're, we're talking about the calories in issues that a lot of times we just don't realize how many calories we're consuming. Um, maybe we're not mindful of us taking the handful of peanuts or the M&Ms or, or um, I don't know, what, what else do people snack on or, or sodas or or. Uh, Starbucks coffee, nothing wrong with Starbucks. I love a caramel macchiato every now and, and then. And having a black coffee is good for you, but it, in moderation, I should say. Um, but where was I going with this? Oh, it's the additives to all the Starbucks <laughs> coffees, like in the lattes with all the extra The candy sugar coffee, and the yeah. creams and the whipped cream on top. Exactly. You, you exactly. That's... On average, I think, how many calories have I seen in a, in a Starbucks drink? Like upwards of like 300 calories. Yeah, 300 calories, 400 average calories. latte or... I think there have been ones that are like up near the thousand range. You know, if you get like the, the Trenta, you know, whatever. And people are know. consuming these every day and wondering yes. why they're having trouble losing weight. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, so people don't, they just don't understand. They don't realize it. Um, <clears throat> and there's a, you know, we're not going to go down the rabbit hole as far as Manipulating yeah, ghrelin and leptin because then we're just going to be here for hours. So we'll, we'll do that in another podcast. Um, so anyway, people don't realize how many calories they're eating. Now, on top of that, people overestimate how many calories they're utilizing. 
Um, oh, that's a big one. You're not. I'm not saying you don't work hard in the gym, but you're not going as hard as you think. No, and most um, of the devices <laughs> in the standard gyms nowadays, anyway, doesn't matter yeah. what type of cardiovascular equipment you're on. The amount of calories that it says you're burning is not accurate for a number of reasons. A, the equations are not tailored to you specifically. Exactly. Especially if you don't put in your age and weight. As At the same time, it, it either severely overestimates or underestimates. And it's rarely ever underestimates. Uh, so all of you who think you're burning 1,000 calories in a workout. Hey, man. You, you got <laughs> it. It, it. Maybe. Maybe. Look, my friend time says <laughs> like if I you really want to figure out how many calories you're burning you need to actually go online and find the actual equations using met values or metabolic equivalents of a particular activity mm-hmm. and then using the proper equation for your a size age weight etc and even with that that's still an estimate like those can still be inaccurate now i'm not saying they're going to be horribly off but they still could be inaccurate and that that could be from metabolic adaptations it could be some other physiological issues that that are going on and that again we have a lot of potential other topics that i think we will get to in future episodes here but a big one i think we need to point here right when people think they're burning that amount of calories they say well i weight train so i'm burning a ton of calories in the gym that's got to be like a thousand calories an hour right no You're maybe from a standard <laughs> weight close. training session. If you're not doing burpees or constant body weight exercises in between, you might be burning upwards of 300 calories, maybe 350, 400 if you're lucky. Yeah. If you're really kicking ass in the it, gym. And of course, that, that depends on your size. If you're a smaller person, larger person, you know, there's a lot of variables to play into that. Um, so, so don't don't take that and say, hey, well. Uh, you know, Coach P and Coach K said we can't burn any more than 300 calories in a workout. No, that's, that's not what we're saying. We're saying a standard strength training workout exactly. with rest periods and no extra additives. No ropes thrown in there. No crazy sets of burpees. No sprinting around tracks. Just straight uh, just strength training. Just straight strength training. You know, three sets of 10, maybe two minutes, three minutes of rest, whatever you know, whatever your protocol is. And then what most people <laughs> end up doing, they say, oh, well, I exercise today. And those who don't track or have any idea how to calculate their macronutrients, they go out, they go crazy, they get yeah. super large portion sizes. Exactly. It's on top of on a Friday night going out to get pizza and they have that drink and then that drink and then that drink. That's, that's even another topic. And Good Lord, man. Up. There's so many topics. We're going to have topics for days. We'll have a separate for topic years. when we talk about alcohol and stress. But oh, that, my God. That's going <laughs> to... That's going to be exciting. That's a big um, rabbit hole. Anyway, anyway. So in other words, uh, there's two variables to this thing. And there's a lot of things that play into these variables of calories in, calories out. But the thing is, you just don't know. You just don't know. And, and you know, you can you can go get your, your RMR tested. You can do a um, graded exercise test and get a, a good estimate how many calories you're utilizing at, at you know, different intensities. And, and that's going to give you a good start. But let's be real here. How many people have access to a physiology lab? Yeah, not many. Not many. So it's not very practical to say, hey, go get a graded exercise test because that's what you need to lose weight. Yeah. Um, so let, let's let's start. Let's let's back it up. We got calories in, calories out, right? We kind of briefly talked talked about some of those issues uh, that, that people have with identifying those variables. So what I want to talk about is calories. What, what is a calorie? Calorie is a measurement of heat, Mr. Kyle. Measurement of heat. It's energy. It's energy. So we need energy to do things. Um, and eventually, right, whenever we eat our food, our, our, our pizza, our caramel macchiato, our Pop-Tarts, our Twinkies, our Skittles, <laughs> it's a great diet. Hey, I like Pop-Tarts and I don't, I don't, I don't keep them in our house. I don't keep them in our house because I will eat them all. Occasionally I'll see it in our, at work or in our studio and I'll just be mm-hmm. <laughs> can't do it. I can't do it. I'll eat strawberry them. frosted ones. You ever put by any pap It's so free. No, you got to do chocolate fudge or the cinnamon. Oh, you just smother those all over your face. Put some butter on it, right? It's got to have calories. over the allowed percentage of added sugar for sure. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> I think it's, it's like 50 grams of sugar at least. Yeah, it's 50 grams of sugar. I think 75 grams of carbs. And Pop-Tart. that's like per Pop-Tart. Per Pop-Tart. And there's two. <laughs> and you know you're going to eat four packages. Because you can't just have one. No, you, you, you eat an entire box. That's the way it goes. <laughs> I, I've done it last prep, actually. Um, I was so hungry. I was so hungry, so hungry. I woke up in the middle of the night and I had Pop-Tarts. Guess what? I ate an entire box of 12 and went back to bed. That's it's like so 1,800 calories. Four on top of each other. Oh, and it's, it's glorious. And then you feel like a 
piece of shit afterwards. Yeah, you feel really um, bad. <laughs> anyway, so if you were to take a brain scan of your head and looking at the inflammation, to <laughs> be the size of the cone heads like Dan Aykroyd looked like in that movie. I'm okay. <laughs> so we need to get back on track here. Um, rabbit holes is probably going to be a very common thing in our episodes. <laughs> anyway, if you haven't noticed already, right? This is episode four. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> bunch of rabbit holes. calories, <laughs> calories are, are energy, right? And, and we, we take this food that we consume, the, the Skittles or whatever you just ate for dinner and whatnot. And eventually if we're going to use it for energy purposes, right? I'm not talking about necessarily protein synthesis or storing in, in glycogen, which is a stored form of, of, um, glucose or carbohydrates or in our adipose tissue or fat tissue. I'm talking about if I'm going to use this for energy purposes, we convert it into a molecule we call ATP. Which ATP means and den- or stands for adenosine triphosphate, which is our energy currency for all mechanical processes in the human body. So that's skeletal muscle contraction, which we're really really familiar with, or things like moving things across a concentration gradient, like into a cell. We call endocytosis for our biology people. Uh, you know, out of a cell exocytosis, things like that. Um, if you don't have <laughs> ATP, you die. Yeah, you, you literally can't live. But that's what we're converting all the stuff into. So what I really like to tell my students is to imagine your body as a giant sack of chemicals, because that's what you are. And they're all interacting with each other and doing things and you're moving stuff over here and this thing's happening and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Things are happening, right? You're a giant sack of chemicals. Um, So when we talk about nutrition, we're putting more chemicals into our body. Yes, I know. I said you eat chemicals. Guess what? That's true. Yeah. Right. Lane Norton actually said something very similar <laughs> Did in, one really? his, in one of his talks. Yeah. Right. Well, people freak out like, well, you can't eat the food with all the chemicals in it. Well, you, you can't even breathe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, man? Like, are you just existing off of, I don't know. Um, I, I get very literal with those, 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 um, types of things. Anyway, so your big, your big sack of chemicals and and what you eat is going to influence the chemistry in your body one way or another. Not necessarily saying that if you eat, you know, one extra gram of carb, you're going to turn into the Hulk or things are just going to go all haywire, but it all has a little bit of influence. And over time it adds up. So when we eat this, this, these foods, and, and there's a lot more to eating food than just energy. We have micronutrients and macronutrients that help with maintaining our chemistry of the body. But when we talk about the energy aspect of things, if we're in a caloric surplus, our body's not going to throw it away, right? If I give you $10,000 right now and you only need $5,000 to pay off all your bills, are you going to take that $5,000 and just throw it into the street? You're probably going to save it or you're going to go buy something or, you know, whatever. But you're not going to just get rid of it. You're not going to just, eh, I don't need it. So... It's the same thing with your body does with calories. Whenever you, whenever you consume excess calories, you take those calories and you store it. And how is that get stored, Coach K? Well, a little bit in glycogen, which we hope so, right? <laughs> but mostly adipose tissue. adipose tissue. Adipose tissue, which is fat tissue. And a lot of people don't actually understand the majority of the body fat on your body comes from ingested dietary fat. That's it. So when people say it's the carbs that makes you fat, eh, guess again, it's calories. fat makes you fat. You, you, you consume too much food. When you eat pizza, especially if you're in a caloric surplus, you oxidize the bread and you're storing all that cheese. So you got to really think about it's not so much macronutrient partitioning. I remember that actually uh, being in the exercise physiology lab we were talking about. It's not necessarily the types of food you're eating. It's what macronutrients you're eating together. Uh, changes the overall That's way good that point. you metabolize the food. It's a good point. Like, because it changes your RAR. It changes your respiratory exchange. Absolutely. And, and your body will preferentiate, prefer to utilize certain you know, macronutrients over the other, especially for energy purposes, i.e. carbohydrates. carbohydrates. Um, big keto people, right? What happens when you start eating carbohydrates and you're on a keto diet? Right? I, I love this. When I hear people, oh, I do keto most of the time. Okay, so you don't do keto at all is what you're telling me. Yeah, because you can't just hop out of adaptation. It takes a lot of time to adapt (laughs) to ketogenic diets. Now, I mean, granted, if you've been doing it, let's say you did it for two years, and then you can get back into ketosis a lot quicker than someone who's never done it before. But the point is, if you're in in the state of ketosis and then you start eating pizza, guess what? Ketosis stops. That's, That's it. So what, I mean, that's that statement right there tells us that our body prefers to utilize carbohydrates. 
I'm not saying don't do the keto diet. I'm not saying that keto diet's worthless. That's what I studied in grad school. It's it's a it's a wonderful diet that has a lot of you know potential benefits to it. It's just not the best diet out there, especially for performance. Especially for if I were to make an argument on what the best diet is out there, it's the diet that a has the most health benefits, provides most benefits for longevity, and is the one that you can adhere to every single day. Absolutely. For the rest of your life, which is why there is no shortcut. There's no secret (laughs) pill. There's no cucumber celery drink that's going to help you lose weight. Damn it. No No. Yohimbeam pills. Nothing. There's no magic pill. And unfortunately, you're destroying my diet right now. Unfortunately, (laughs) when you take a poll of almost all Americans and say, would you rather do the hard, consistent diet that it takes? Or and get all the lasting benefits and longevity, or would you rather take the pill now, but not as many benefits later on? Absolutely. And almost all Americans will always take the pill. Absolutely, and you know, most. I mean, but who blames them? Like, if it, if it would actually work that way, who blames them? Like, we're always looking for the path of least resistance. But then here's here's the downfall of that: they don't gain all the psychological benefits. No, no. Oh, I agree. They don't I go agree. The grit. They don't build the health. Absolutely, habits. because in. Yeah, that's going to add up later. But, you know, we're, we're an instant gratification society, right? If you Do I want to work 34 years for, you know, a million dollars? Or do I want a million dollars that's dropped on my desk right now? Um, yeah. Give me the freaking million dollars. No problem. Right now. Now, granted, me personally, I would still work. But I, th- I think, Chris, you're probably the same. Because we get bored. <laughs> yeah, well, to fulfill life, you have to continue to work. I, I can't stand when people are lazy as hell and don't want to do anything. It's like, why don't you continue to make a difference? Do something with your Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So people, I think this is my opinion here, and maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. One of the reasons why people struggle with with dieting is because it does take the grit. And it's not it's not the simple pill that you can take. It's not something magical that you can do. And the reality, the truth about losing weight is not sexy. There's nothing glamorous about it. There's nothing, wow, this is just, you know, I've got the secret. I, no, there sucks. are no secrets. The secret, you know the secret. Everybody listening to this and everybody literally in this country, in the world, right, for the most part, knows how to lose weight. Eat less. There was a, I used to uh, train with a guy. He's a a friend of mine. I won't mention his name, but he made a post as a few years ago. And he's like, attention, all fat people. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, all right, I'm going to like this already. Attention, all fat people. I have, my dogs were overweight. They were fat. So I started feeding them every other day. They lost weight. My dogs are no longer fat, (laughs) but it's true. And, And he's not saying don't eat you know, eat every other day. I mean, intermittent fasting is kind of popular. So maybe, um, (laughs) more like intermittent day fasting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the the point is that, um, you got to eat less calories now, just because you eat less calories and you start to lose weight, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to turn into Thor or Captain America or Dwayne Johnson. You're still genetically predisposed to be what you are. Exactly. And some people genetically have a lot more muscle mass than others. Absolutely. Some people are genetically predisposed to be better marathon runners or better endurance athletes. Some are meant to do strength. Some, unfortunately, neither. <laughs> uh, you're, you, if, if you want the best body in the world, you want to look like Steve Cook and all the models on the fitness magazines, pick your parents wisely, guys. All right? So you screwed up already, basically, is what he's saying. Yeah. Um, do so, the best so, with the cards you've been dealt. Now – Let's talk about these macronutrients, though, right? Because we know we've kind of—I think we've established that calories matter. Calories in versus calories out. Calories are your energy. You need to uh, consume enough calories to sustain your whatever your daily activities are. Unless you want to lose weight, then you eat a little less calories and you'll lose weight. Now, typically, if we're talking about being a caloric deficit uh, for sports performance, we're looking at a ten to twenty percent caloric deficit and still maintaining performance. So if you are a wrestler, uh, I wrestled for years, so, uh, and I definitely didn't follow this protocol because I was the, you know, run five miles in a sweat suit and whatever. I did everything wrong. Um, but if I were to redo it 10, 20%, and you will see, you, you will not have a decrease in actual performance, uh, and you will still lose weight. So you're still in a caloric deficit and you're still able to perform. Now, with that being said, 
With that being said, the macronutrients also matter, right? We don't want to just consume anything. I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't consume 90% of your calories coming from carbohydrates and expect to have a, a great body composition, right? Because when we, when we think about, <clears throat> when we think about, uh, he's taking pictures. Uh, when we think about body composition, uh, we, we need to start kind of preferentiating uh, different macronutrients, would you right. say? And the one that you really need to prioritize when going into calorie deficit above all others is protein. Mm -hmm. When they've done research, it was protein that was the most influential independent of fat and carbohydrate. Absolutely. That has, so it has the most, so in English, what that means is having the highest amount of protein is going to dictate how much lean mass you're able to maintain during a calorie deficit. So there's a study, I forget, maybe like five, six years ago, something like that in they put two groups in the caloric deficit, one high protein, one low protein. And the difference in fat mass, right? They, they both lost, you know, or the, the same amount of weight. They're the same caloric deficit. But the high protein diet, I think uh, that group had maintained or, or well, they lost like only 10% or so coming from, from lean mass. And the other group lost around 35% coming from lean mass. So in other words, it, the low protein group lost more lean mass, which is obviously not what you want. What that translates into is that you're not going to look anywhere near Captain America, which is not what you want. So you want to prefer, or sorry, you want to um, emphasize protein intake. Now there's a wide array of, of protein recommendations, right? The sedentary individual, right? The, the RDA for that is 0.8 grams per kg, which comes out to like 0.34, 0.36 grams per pound, something yeah. like that. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the, uh, with the, uh, the conversion rates for kilograms to pounds, simply take your body weight and divide by 2.2. Yes. So it's 2.2 pounds for every one kilogram of body weight. So if you take your body weight in pounds, divide by 2.2, it gives you the amount of kilograms, multiply that by 0.8 grams. And if you're a sedentary, normal individual, that's how much protein you need per day. For the average 200 pound person, that's about 75 grams. Something maybe. like that. Yeah. Um, ballpark, give or take. But there's been a plethora of research to show if you're very physically active, in particular doing strength training often, you can benefit from a lot more. Absolutely. Now you're going to see a varying of ranges from all different types of sources. Absolutely. So you're going to go with the main bodybuilders that'll say one gram per pound of body weight. And then you'll have the ISSN came out with, what was it? A range, a range of 1.2 to 1.6 grams. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which still is not quite for a 200 pound person, 200 grams. That's around 175, 185. Um, but I've actually read studies now that if, even if you overeat on protein, it's, it's not an issue unless you have kidney issues yeah. in, in assumption with, with adequate hydration. And we know now that that's a myth. High protein diets don't actually cause any issues. With no, kidney. absolutely not. And, and I've actually seen as high as, um, let's see, 2.8 grams per kg. Holy crap. Yeah. And that, that's more in the hypertrophy caloric deficit phase. Um, and actually I think that is what is also in Lane Norton's book, if I recall correctly, uh, the, the contest prep guide. Yeah. I think he talks about that and, and the whole idea Now, let's talk about the role of protein. Protein has a lot of different roles in the, in the body, but you know, <clears throat> we're going to use it to synthesize protein or build other proteins. Uh, so in the context of exercise, when, whenever you work out, you're damaging your skeletal muscle. You've probably heard that you have the little micro tears and all that good stuff, right? So what you're trying to do when you consume protein is to repair that. So day-to-day -day wear and tear, you're going to need protein, right? Just, just, sitting, <clears throat> just sitting on the couch watching Netflix, you're going to have breakdown of tissue. You're going to have what we call protein turnover, no matter what. Whenever you start doing a lot of high intensity exercise, you're looking at hypertrophy, you're doing Olympic weightlifting, you're crossfitting, whatever you're doing, you're going to have more protein breakdown. So you need to, con you need to consume more. So uh, the, the recommendation for like endurance athletes or straight endurance athletes is, is about 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kg. And then uh, strength athletes is you know, 1.5. And I think the ACSM recommends 2.0 grams. Uh, per kg. So that's just shy of a gram per pound by that recommendation. Now that's not, that's not necessarily taking into consideration, which is, I think is what Lane Norton was pointing out in his book, the caloric deficit, and then the caloric deficit trying to look for more hypertrophy type uh, training. So that's why we 
crank that up. So I actually, actually found the best, best benefits, benefits just right around 1.6 to 1.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. High carbohydrate diet was the absolute best for my performance. And I think really did a good job and actually gained strength during mm-hmm. that whole cut. Absolutely. Um, and that's what a lot of people don't understand as well. Cause they'll, I've heard some sports performance coaches or sports nutritionists say that yes, the ketogenic diet is fine for strength training, but ultimately we know as the intensity grows, you're going to need those carbohydrates a to sustain that high level of activity and to help recover from your, because you need that glucose, especially to recover from your central nervous system activity, which is absolutely, which a lot of people don't understand when you're pushing the intensity as high as you possibly can in your workouts, whether you're doing a near one repetition maximum performance in the gym or doing sprints or any type of high intensity interval training, especially for my CrossFit athletes. Oh yes. Constantly doing these wads that are just They're brutal. out the intensity. You need carbohydrates to fund that performance. And if you're in a deficit with the, Goal of losing weight, improving your physique and overall body composition, you need those carbohydrates to keep up that level of performance. If you're not performing that high, then maybe you can get away with a lower carbohydrate option. Or for those of you who can't tolerate carbohydrates as well, because we do know we have a personal friend who simply can't handle carbohydrates as well. Her body does not digest them properly. So that's that's a whole other world in itself. And we're not dissing on any of those people. Absolutely not. But for the majority of individuals to upkeep performance and be able to maintain in our in our eyes the highest level of lean mass with a high protein diet you got to keep carbohydrates in some way absolutely and i think we're going to go this is the perfect uh segue into carbohydrate talk but before we do that i do want to mention um with, with the keto diet when i when i was studying this uh, in my master's program, does that sound like someone you know? That's <laughs> <laughs> Norton. In my PhD, I studied this, but we're talking about a wholly different topic, dude. <laughs> In my PhD, yeah. Um, what was it? Uh, we're talking about Honda Civics, man. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, or uh, uh, sleep deprivation causes issues with your immune system and, and your ability for the pancreas to release insulin. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, my name is Dr. So-and-so. And, and in my dissertation where we looked at amino acid profiles. <laughs> but this happened to sleep. But this actually does have, have something to do because I, I studied specifically ketogenic we love Lane. for uh, <laughs> the ketogenic diet for performance. And most of the research is done in endurance athletes, um, which endurance athletes have a lower protein requirement when compared to a resistance resistance training and or CrossFit or hypertrophy or, or things like that. So the problem with the keto diet is that the protein still has to be low. Like a lot of people will say I'm keto and they just eat meat and they're like, no, you're actually kind of more carnivore, right? And that's another topic. Um, you're more carnivore than anything because you're not in ketosis because we're, we're oxidizing too many amino acids in that huge surplus of protein. So uh, Jeff and Stephen Volokh, they are the, the main researchers in in the ketogenic diet and athletic performance. Uh, and I believe, if I recall correctly, they were recommending one gram per pound of lean body mass. Is that what you can work up to? Not start, but work up to in a ketogenic diet and stay in ketosis. However, I would probably I would caution you to say that that's not going to work for everyone and you may not be in a ketogenic state. So you will have to test um, whether you're in ketosis or not here's another thing we didn't even catch on and it's funny because people who think they're in a state of ketosis you aren't if you happen to take your performance higher what happens is is the liver will actually expel out glucose into the Mm -hmm. bloodstream and all of a sudden take you out of ketosis they found this happening with crossfitters (laughs) who tried to go who tried to put themselves into ketosis using a ketogenic diet but didn't realize that the liver is still going to do a process called gluconeogenesis where it's going to take those free fatty acids and convert them into glucose to be stored either as glycogen or to be stored in the liver. So if if you're in that ketosis state and you go and you do that larger high intensity workout that requires that glucose, your liver is going to go, Oh God. And then push everything out. Let's fix this problem. And then you're going to see a huge glucose spike in the bloodstream when someone thinks they're in ketosis and they're going to freak out be like, oh my gosh, I'm not in ketosis. Well, because higher performance activity required that level of glucose to fund the anaerobic energy system. Exactly. Exactly. And there's no way around that. And I remember meeting with a, um, 
there, there's a, there's a doctor and I kind of put him on the spot and he he had no idea um, how to answer this question. But I was like, you know, he's a doctor. He's had a lot more biochemistry than I have. Um, Hey doctor, whatever your name was, it was, it was at a keto gathering. I don't know, whatever they they were selling their, their keto supplement, their, their beta hydroxybutyrate, which is, which is technically not a ketone, but we're going to, that's a different topic. Um, But yeah, keep selling your non- non-ketone ketone supplement (laughs) 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 chemistry uh so i was like okay so what about people operating in a high intensity who are on a ketogenic diet like how how can they actually sustain that because once you're depleted on glycogen like how how do you actually do that and he's like well i just he he didn't know because the thing is that like it's not there now there are some people who speculate that there are changes in the metabolic pathways of uh, i don't know if you heard this but like or read this with people saying this like there's an upregulation in in um beta uh, beta oxidation which okay makes sense because we're using fat yeah. um and then we're able to utilize the krebs cycle quick enough to push out the one atp that we make out of one turn of the krebs cycle with acetyl-coa to supply enough uh what you call it uh, ATP for skeletal muscle contraction. So in other words, we're able to utilize a Krebs cycle almost similar to what glycolysis can do at that rate, which is like, all right, that sounds all fine and dandy, but can you show me that that happens? And, yeah. and it hasn't been shown. Maybe we'll be proven wrong. That would be cool, right? Awesome to know. But um, as of right now, no. So <laughs> anyway. Keto <laughs> lovers. But again, again, Keto diet is uh, it, it's a tool in the toolbox, and it can work. If it works for you, then do it. But you know, if you're going to commit, do it long term. Let, let's go ahead and just just touch on that. We are talking about weight loss and calories and whatnot. So, uh, the keto diet for weight loss, people see a lot of success. What would you attribute that to? A calorie deficit, Alex. Oh my God! Do, do I get 500 points now? No, because it's too freaking easy. You get negative five points for not answering quick enough. What if I phrase it in the question of what is a calorie deficit? (laughs) So, so in other words, it's a calorie deficit. Now, why why are people like, but I, you know, but I eat that. Well, you're still exactly. And here's one thing: like, if you're going to follow a keto diet, and you people who who start the keto diet, they're like, okay, cool. I know I got to do this very strict protocol in order to get in ketosis and this ketosis is, is magic sauce. So then I'm going to lose weight. Magic sauce. So the magic sauce doesn't exist. And really what happens, and this is again, my opinion, my speculation of, of just observing is that people, you can't eat like an asshole on the keto diet. If you're, if you're in ketosis, you're in ketosis, you're eating, you know, high fats, hopefully quality fats, but most people don't. And you're eating a little bit of protein in Next to nothing for carbohydrates. Congratulations. You are no longer able to eat the Twinkies and drink the Starbucks and all the dumb shit, all the calories that were contributing to your calories in that you had no idea what you were actually consuming. You can apply the same concept to all other diets as well. Exactly. Because it's cutting out the bad bad habits. Oh, this worked for me so well. That's great. But you just changed your habits, Mm -hmm. which you could have done in any type of diet lifestyle. You see that all the time. No. Granted, if it works for you, awesome. Yeah. I'm happy for you. Like, don't, don't, yeah, don't you know, try to reinvent the wheel. If it's working for you and it's changing your habits in a positive direction, go. But it's not magic. No, there's no such thing as magic. Just hard work and consistency. You can't, you can't, you can't, yeah, you're not casting spells to change your chemistry, right? You're a sack of chemicals. No. What you eat is, is going to just... Me taking yeah. eight grams of L-carnitine supplements pre and post workout is yeah. not going to. That is the rate limiting step to beta oxidation. I don't want to hear it. But what so many people don't understand is that a you need carbohydrates to fuel fat loss. Oh, Fats crap. burn in the fuel of carbohydrate, and you need a crap ton of insulin just to get a little bit of that L-carnitine in the bloodstream to actually do anything. So that's all a waste. You know, of dude. Whatever. Okay, potato, potato. <laughs> I gotta pick on the bodybuilders because they're all taking that bullshit that just doesn't work hey man you just don't know and they're just like this is what caused me uh fat loss no clenbuterol caused your flat your fat loss yeah whatever okay clenbuterol. how many pills of ephedra did you take this morning <laughs> look that's neither here nor there <laughs> i'm natural yeah so, so are okay well don't even get me started on that notion <laughs> i'm natural really okay well what is natural because four percent body fat from Today, since last year, well, this time. I'm not even saying that. 
I'm just saying what is actually natural, like well, do you, not stuff that like, cause when I ask people that it's, it, they stumble over the words and it's like, well, just, it's not hormones. You have hormones. You're not natural. Well then it's just not like stuff that's man-made Well, you ate that hamburger, right? That's man-made. <laughs> Did you make your lunch? That's man-made. Your, your, your definition of natural sucks is, is what it is. I know, I know what they're saying and I understand it, but stop using stupid blanket terms. Like don't eat anything that you can't pronounce on a label. Oh my God. Uh, are, are you taking <laughs> performance enhancement drugs or not? Exactly. That, that's the question. If you are, I mean, you awesome. can make the argument that I'm not natural for taking five grams of cream. It's true. Roids. <laughs> which is not anabolic at all whatever man creatine has definitely been proven to be droids <laughs> <laughs> we're really going to confuse our audience here mm-hmm. <laughs> creatine is not an androgenic substance Cre- creatine for, for, and this will come up in our um, our bioenergetic pathway talks later on um, is utilized in the foster creatine system and it's one of the most beneficial supplements you can have it's one of the only ones that's been widely researched enough to prove it has any type of since benefit. the 40s, 50s, I don't even know. And it's not, not from, from pulling more water into your cells. <laughs> that, that drives me nuts. I don't take creatine because it makes me puffy. Oh, God. You're it puffy because you're fat. <laughs> <laughs> and there goes our two Editing. <laughs> Editing. Nah, we're, not taking, we're not taking that out. Uh, we're just joking around. Creatine just supplies more energy to be recycled to create more ATP to be used during that ATP phosphocrine energy system, which means more energy during your high-intensity workouts. Any activity that lasts 10 seconds or less. So your high-intensity lifts, your Olympic powerlifting, sprints, etc. So we'll touch more on that in a little bit. But So we've got protein. Let's back it up here. Um, I think we need to do a better job of not uh, getting off on these rabbit holes. Uh, so we've got we've got protein. Uh, you know, we, we talked about the protein requirements. We've got carbohydrates, and and consuming those two together uh, is is good for increasing what we call protein synthesis or or building protein. So or <clears throat> so when we take protein alone, or if we take carbohydrates alone, and then we compare it to taking protein and carbohydrates together. Protein carbohydrates has the highest amount of protein synthesis, which is going to help with our recovery. Yeah, 100%. Um, <clears throat> so carbohydrates, uh, as far as requirements, those are, Lord, those are wide, wide, wide ranges. Anywhere from one gram per to uh, one gram per kg all the way up to I've seen to 12 grams per kg. Now, 12 grams per kg is going to be something like Michael Phelps status. I don't, I don't know. Maybe Michael Phelps is listening or Michael Phelps is son or 2.0 is listening. Um, but you're probably not needing that much. You probably don't work that hard. I'm not saying you don't work that hard, but you don't. Um, so I am what (laughs) I'm confused now. Anyway, (laughs) the point is that, um, the carbohydrate recommendations is heavily based on what your activity is. So we, we could argue, uh, someone who's in a, very, very high intensity. The CrossFitter is probably going to need a lot more carbohydrates because they're using carbohydrates a lot less efficiently than just running, you know, five miles. But then again, if you're an endurance athlete and you're running 15 miles, then that's a whole different conversation. So I think uh, we shouldn't dive too far into that because that's going to get pretty confusing. There's a lot of what if scenarios. Yeah. Uh, but I would like to provide some of those resources on maybe maybe our Instagrams. 100%. I think that'd be a good idea. Awesome. So we're reaching now the point where let's start to get more what? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, into tips on. Okay. Oh, I got one more thing we want to talk about fat real quick. Oh, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Then we'll get the tips. I promise. Fumble. Okay. Fumble. Um, fats. Fats are, are definitely required. People like to cut out fats and that, that also irritates me. Uh, oh, yeah. You can't cut out fat. Don't cut out any macronutrient. No, you can go low fat, but don't cut out all fat. Exactly. Fat, fat for maintaining health. The recommendation is 20% of your total caloric intake. Uh, sometimes you see, you know, 0.2 to 0.4 grams per kg. There's a bunch of different recommendations out there. I just tell you 20% of your <clears throat> total caloric intake, you'll probably be fine. And that, that amount of fat is very important for proper endocrine and hormonal production. Exactly. Exactly. And fat soluble vitamins. Fat soluble. Oh, good one. Because we actually went over this in class before the weekend, weekend of this week. Oh, perfect. Perfect. One of the, I showed them a video on 
uh, the purpose of having a healthy breakfast and how usually the gut is able to handle higher fat meals during your breakfast time. Uh, but one of the reasons why dressings for salads became a thing is in these cruciferous vegetables and all green vegetables that have those important fat-soluble vitamins that we need for vital healthy function, you need fat along with it to help them digest. And if yeah. you're not including fat with those meals, so for those of you who like to eat your veggies raw, stop it. <laughs> At least pour a little bit of olive oil some fat on that in order to help shuttle those nutrients in or else the amount of absorption you're actually getting from those micronutrients is negligible and you're losing out on a lot of the vital nutrition. So I always tell anyone, if you're, it doesn't matter what greens you're eating, sprinkle at least a little bit of olive oil or your favorite dressing on there. Or eat it with an avocado or, mm -hmm. or something. That's just a healthy fat source to help Absolutely. you with your diet. Chia seeds, flax seeds. I, I love chia seeds and flax seeds. And then you get yeah. the added benefit of all your omega-3s from exactly. flax seeds. Exactly. Also note, though, they have to be ground-up seeds. If yeah. If, if the covering is on it still... still or it hasn't been chopped into little bits, you're also not going to be able to get as much of the nutrients because exactly. we don't have the elements or the proper enzymes to digest and break that down. Perfect. And then you're just adding more fiber to the diet. So let, let's recap here. Recap. We're, we're talk, we start off talking about calories and how calories matter. Calories in versus calories out. That's how we lose weight. We, we play around with that equation. Uh, if you eat less calories than you're, uh, than you're utilizing or that you're, you're putting out, then you will lose weight. There's no way around it. It's a, it's a mathematical equation. The problem that people run into is not knowing how many calories you're consuming or how many calories you're utilizing. So we're going to talk about some tips that will help us, you know, Basically, figure that out. Now, maybe not to a you know down to the calorie, but to give us some estimation here and, and to get started on a diet. So, I think the first one, that, and this might sound obvious, and I'm going to point it. I'm going to poke some holes in this particular tip, but it still has useful, which is logging your food into oh, My Fitness Pal. That's, that's what I was just going to say. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so, well, go your version first. Okay, so so the reason why I like logging your food, now, it's not that everything's 100% accurate. It's just that it gives you a reference. And if you are consuming 3,000 calories on My Fitness Pal and this whatever food, and you're gaining weight, guess what? Manipulate the food that you're eating, eat less. That's all you got to do. Even if that, even if that calorie uh, consumption is completely off, it doesn't matter. It's just like measuring body fat. We don't really care how accurate it is. We just care about the consistency and the measurements. So over time, uh, if you're eating 3000 calories on with that, you're logging in your food, whether that's 5,000 calories or 3,200 calories, it doesn't matter. If you're eating 3000 calories on that log and you want to lose more weight, decrease your calories. That's all you have to do. 100%. So <clears throat> next tip, next tip, um, put a huge emphasis on protein, huge emphasis on protein for the, uh, for, for of course the repairing of, of the tissues and of course the, the, um, the retention of lean mass that we talked about in a study earlier, but also protein is very, very, very satiating. Very satiating. And <clears throat> the most satiating. The most satiating. And so in other words, that means that you're going to be less hungry. So eat your chicken breast or steak or, or whatever protein you're consuming, whatever type, if you're vegan, you know, you want to look at, you know, vegan sources of protein, whatever fits your particular eating style. Awesome. I think I know what your next tip would be. What's that? Um, okay. Maybe not. Go for it. Okay. I'm, in, I'm inside your head, man. Inside fiber. Fiber. <laughs> yes. yes. Thank, thank you. Tell us well, about fiber. What about fiber? Uh, so a common strategy that a lot of bodybuilding coaches or sports nutritionists will use with their athletes going through any type of deficit is to increase the total number of fiber in their diet. I remember when Robert, my coach, and we were going through my first cut last year, had my goal of upwards of 50 to 75 grams a day of just fiber. Um, due to the fact that, A, fiber is very satiating. At the same time, there are numerous benefits for fiber that we could get into as far as decreasing bad cholesterol and adding bulk to fecal matter that's really good for reducing carcinogenic substances within the intestine. But even more so, it increases your thermic effect of food, which isn't drastic, but it does cost a little bit more calories to help metabolize that food. Now, oh, go ahead. No. Oh, I was gonna, uh, and on top of that, uh, supporting a gut microbiome. 100%. Uh, you know, that's a big area of research, and uh, I, I would love to dive into that in another episode as well. Uh, we're getting a lot of episode ideas off of this, this one episode. Uh, but maintaining a healthy gut microbiome is, is, well, critical for a lot of different reasons. It's been linked to car you know cardiovascular disease, blah, 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 blah. But the one thing I really want to point out is that it's up to, I think it's 
20%, yeah, about 20%, 20 to 25% of um, <clears throat> your T4 to T3 conversion happens in your gut. Now, T4 and T3, T4 is your inactive thyroid hormone, we'll call it that, and T3 is your active thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormones help with uh, manipulating or controlling metabolism. So in other words, your gut has a role in your metabolism. So maintaining a, a healthy gut microbiome is, is critical for a number of Now, I know for a fact that Kyle has some of his own tips and concoctions that he uses to improve that health microbiome. What is your most favorite drink that you love? Oh, yeah. Well, this makes me feel like a super hippie millennial, but uh, kombucha. But kombucha has been found to be very beneficial. It is. And I've even brewed my own. Um, or any fermented types of foods. Right? Exactly. So fermented foods. like kimchi or um, sauerkraut. Sauerkraut. Yeah, sauerkraut has some. Uh, you know, I guess beer is fermented, but I think the whole alcohol might, the yeah, alcohol content's a little too high. Uh, <laughs> but I remember my first encounter with, with kombucha was with uh, my old roommate, our colleague, James Ellis, and he was making making it. I, I didn't know how you make kombucha. Like, I knew about kombucha, but I just never saw it. He's a giant container. Like, it looks like tobacco spit. I'm like, what the hell is yeah, that? Yeah, what is that loogie part? Yeah, like, it, it's scoby. It literally looks like a loogie. Symbiotic colony of uh, bacteria and yeast. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like seeing the mother in a... Uh... Well, it's called a mother, actually, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> then that's the same thing you see in apple cider vinegar. That, that's how yeah. you know it's really good. Yeah, yeah. The scoby. And I didn't mean tasting. Um, <laughs> So that, that's something good for, for gut bacteria. I mean, there's yogurt, but a lot of like the yogurt you see in the commercial um, like stores are, are just so heavily, so heavily uh, concentrated with sugar. It, it kind of starts to diminish the effect. So we've got fiber, we've got protein, uh, we've got logging your food. Um, <clears throat> and we're talking about just kind of getting geared up for weight loss. Uh, progress pictures. Progress pictures, and honestly, I'm not a big fan of the scale so much. No, no because you, as you go along with your diet, especially if you're brand new to any type of physical activity or strength training program, you're in that one unique state where you might actually add muscle mass mm -hmm. while you're dieting as well. Now, that only happens for true beginners. So be aware of our listeners right now who are listening to that. It has to be a very, very novel stimulus of strength training for something like that to happen. It's the whole building muscle, losing fat at the same time. The more advanced you are, that's not going to Or a lot of synthetic hormones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of synthetic the, the, Anyway, so and I know that kind of like, well, it sounds like counterintuitive. Like, well, we're talking weight loss. Um, too many people focus on just the scale. I would much rather focus on how I look and how I feel, how clothes fit, that sort of thing. Those are good tips and good things to pay attention to rather than the scale. Because I've been... At 230 lean, and I've been 230 fat. Tell you the truth, it's a big difference. Yeah. It, it is, and and you know the, the scale is just talking about the gravitational pull on your body, essentially. Yeah, you can your look mass. better at 125 compared to what you look like at 117. Absolutely, and I, absolutely. I have a discussion with girls all the time whenever they ask questions. Same here. <laughs> Um, but, but that, I mean, that happens. You know, I even get my own head too sometimes. So um, I'm not immune to that for sure. You know, looking at the scale, I'm like, crap, this isn't moving. This isn't <laughs> moving. It, it, it does get discouraging, but but trying to remember that that is not necessarily the and thing. So many things influence that number on the scale. Anything from the amount of carbohydrates you had the day before to the amount of salt you have done your diet lately can all influence your fluctuations in weight, especially if you're not taking it at the same time every day. Yeah. All right. So to recap, and I've got one more uh, recapping, we have logging your food, right? To use a point of reference. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Prioritizing protein. Prioritizing protein. Fiber. Wow. Uh, oh, progress pictures, uh, uh, things like that. And my last one, my last one would be not making it too complex to start out. If you're beginning in dieting, don't don't get so caught up in having the four ounces of chicken and and two cups of rice and whatever whatever your diet that you wrote or that some you you saw online because. If you're going from McDonald's and Burger King to chicken, rice, and broccoli weighed out on a scale, you're going to fail. Yes. It's the same thing like whenever you're gearing up to, if you're squatting 100 pounds, I use this example all the time, you're squatting 100 pounds now and you want to squat 500 pounds. You don't put 500 pounds on the bar 
and uh, see how it goes. Dude, right? You're gonna fail. Like you're, you can break some a few things. So exactly. So so with the with the diet, you want to ease into it, right? Prioritize protein, fiber. You know, log your food, kind of see where you're at. Uh, use a point of reference. <clears throat> You know, don't, don't, uh, you know, look too much at, at the scale and more pay attention to progress pictures. And honestly, just don't overcomplicate it. Ease into it. If you make, if you pay attention to other tips, everything else will start to fall into place and you'll start seeing some changes. 100%. And now it's time for the fitness rapid fire questions where you give us the questions, we answer them and set the record straight. Kyle, can you start us off? What questions do we have today? Oh, we've got a wonderful question about the blood type diet. Oh, goodness gracious. The blood type diet. What do you know about the blood type diet, Kyle? Well, it's a diet you eat for your blood type. It's exactly what it sounds like. I think you just Um, read the paper. (laughs) Yeah, right? And that's it. No, so the blood type diet is uh, is basically saying based on your blood type, you should eat a certain way. So, uh, like uh, type O blood type should consume... You know, high protein foods, uh, you know, eat a lot of meats, vegetables, fish, uh, you know, limit your grains, legumes, things like that. Uh, let's see, A type, uh, that's going to be a lot of fruits and vegetables, seafood, turkey, uh, whole grains. Uh, B type is, um, let's see, fruit, dairy, seafood, things like that. All right. So in other words, based on your, your blood type diet, you have to eat a certain way. And there's things to include and things to exclude. And if you eat this way, like this is the theory, that you will be healthier, that you will lose weight, and you'll, I don't know, turn into Captain America. Um, the reality <laughs> is, right, they've done studies on this, and the reality is that they're, they're the people who follow these diets were seeing benefits. However, it's not because of the blood type. So they would put a type AB on a type O and, you know, and type A on a B and so on and so forth. And they all saw relative benefits and had nothing to do with their blood type. It's because they were eating healthier. Oh Imagine my God. That. It's like if you oh. don't eat like an asshole. Oh, it's so good to see you, healthy habits. Oh, wow. Right? Oh, so um, there's not a lot of research supporting uh the the blood type diet as far as it being useful in any regard other than the fact that it's a healthy diet there, there, there's more research out there now that might actually be coming out that will give us some sort of evidence to say that it might be based off of your genetics that might be even more absolutely than that. absolutely and you could look on your your own family history what types of foods did your own family have issues with now that's not going to ever be 100 set 100 set in stone but research is starting to trend in that direction so, so in other words, um, if you want to follow it, great. Not that big of a deal. Is it going to help you? It might. If it's going to be a better diet for you and you can adhere to it, great. It's not because of your blood type. Just remember healthy habits. Healthy habits. All the extra factors and all these fitness trends. All right. Now our next one. What do we the, got next? The question was, if we had to choose one of the following, which would it be? And it would be, or one of the following to follow. Carnivore diet. Oh god. Ketogenic diet, oh, your favorite. God. Or being a vegan. <laughs> wow. Yes. So Can I have you, another option, Bob? Uh you can go first. <laughs> I would be neither, Coach K. For um, numerous reasons. Now, for those of you who choose to be any of these diets, vegan, carnivore, or what was the other one? Ketogenic. Keto. Can they man. work for you or you have some sort of specific chronic condition where you have no other choice but to fundamentally use one of these diet strategies, then by all means. Like that's, exactly. That's how your body is. Just, just like the whole gluten thing. If you have to be on a gluten-free diet because you actually have celiac disease mm-hmm. and you actually have issues absorbing nutrients in the small intestine and gluten actually does give you a severe inflammation response – by all means, go gluten-free. Absolutely. If you're vegan by choice, because whatever your beliefs are on animal products... That's fine. Or whether or not you can actually process protein, I actually met someone who I consider a dear friend who couldn't process mm-hmm. protein or, it, or different types or, of protein. Or, so if you have yeah. to go more vegetarian or more pescatarian to do that, then by all means, for your health, of do course, it. choose the diet lifestyle that's going to be more appropriate for you. But if you're the average Joe or Jeanette... Who can employ any of these diets. I like that, Joe or Jeanette. You like that? I mean, but Joe could be a female name, just saying. Oh, God. 
It could be. I actually met a girl named Joe. Uh, well, my mom. Well, my mom's name is actually Yola. She's from Poland, but she goes by Joe because it's just easier than actually having them try to pronounce it because it's not spelled looking like anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My point. <laughs> Ooh. Is there's a lot of sacrifices you have to make in some of these diets, and I'll, I'll start with the vegan diet. Mm-hmm. In the vegan diet, you have to be very careful because you're lacking those animal products. You're also missing out on vital nutrients. A exactly. Lot of vital nutrients. And it's a lot harder to get a complete amino acid profile from protein. You have to make sure that when you're a vegan or vegetarian that you're getting protein from multiple sources to get a complete amino acid profile. And when I say that, there are – don't quote me on the number of non-essential to essential amino acids – but essential amino acids are amino acids that you have to get from your diet and non-essential amino acids that are they're not as they're important, but you can you produce them in the body. Yeah. In order to get that full amino acid profile, you need to make sure you're getting the right foods that contain them. And if you're not, you have to find other sources of which you get them. Complementary proteins, you know, beans and rice, things like that. Um, you know, you pair those together to get a complete amino acid profile. So it's possible, right? The ve- I think we mentioned this in, in episode three, yeah. talking about you know vegan bodybuilders and things like that, or vegetarian bodybuilders. It's absolutely possible. Yep. It's just harder. Yeah, it's much harder, and you have to be consistent with it. Uh, my issue with the ketogenic diet, once again, it, yes, it has benefits, especially for those individuals that have neurological conditions that we have found in research that has been able to show or individuals with ADHD and those types of things. Ketogenic diets tend to have a place. Uh, if you're able to, if, if you have issues hand, handling carbohydrates and it's easier for you to do a ketogenic diet, once again, if you can consistently carry it day in and day out, go for it. But if you're trying to have a higher level of performance, then ketogenic diet might not be best for you. There's been a plethora of studies to show, because then I, I usually get the question, well, what about endurance athletes and marathon mm-hmm. runners? Don't, don't they rely on fat for fuel? The answer is no. Yeah. Those, those, those exercises are actually higher intensity. It's, it's a race. They're pushing themselves. Some of the greatest marathon athletes in the world were Kenyans who 80% of their diet comes from carbohydrates. Absolutely. I will say this though, um, and this is prevalent in, in Jeff Volk and Sim Finney's work and, and whatnot. And, and of course, there's that 1983 study that has a lot of discrepancies. And there's, but there's been other data reproduced, you know, since then, since 1983, uh, that has shown there are subjects who do perform at upwards of 76 percent of the VO2 max in in a ketogenic state. So it's just not that common. Now, that's also being in a ketogenic diet or practicing a ketogenic lifestyle, should I say, not diet, lifestyle for two plus years. So it's not something very simple and easily attainable if it is even attainable you know, as per your genetics because some of us don't do well on high-fat diets. Some of us do better. Some of us don't do well at all. So honestly, like, yeah, if you want to give it a shot, go for it. Like, you might find out it works for you or you might find out that you fail. I will say this though, that carbohydrates is kind of more of a more reliable or a high carb diet is a more reliable avenue for performance because most of those research studies that show and compare and even show performance with uh, endurance athletes, it's not necessarily better than the carbohydrate group. It's about equal. Some of them see a little bit of increase, sure, but you know that that could we can attribute that to a lot of different uh, contributing factors. So, in other words, we're not necessarily seeing it to be so exponentially greater. Ba- basically, the effort is not worth the outcome. Right. And then the um, last one, the carnivore diet. <laughs> now, I'll be honest in saying I have not done my homework on the carnivore diet, besides the fact that they primarily eat meat and only meat. My problem with the diet is most individuals who are on the carnivore diet refuse to eat any type of fiber source or vegetables, and that just doesn't fly with me. And um, he and I've I've done some some reading on this, and here's the the argument in, in layman's terms. What they what they say is that if if you have straw in a hose, and you want to get the straw out of the hose, do you put more straw into it? Well, sure, that, that that makes sense. Why would you put more straw, more of the, the thing that's obstructing the, the pathway? Um, however, fiber in the GI tract are a little bit different than a hose and straw. So you know, we, we were talking about we're talking about gut microbiome, and, and that's extremely important. Now, uh, according to the carnivore group that 
gut microbiome is maintained on a carnivore diet. I haven't seen the literature on that, and I don't know if that's true or not. That could be just anecdotal report. Who knows? Um, or it could be true. But I don't know that it's necessarily the best route to go, just because when you're looking at an all-meat diet, um, yeah, you're getting fat, um, but you're also probably getting a lot of saturated fat. Yeah, a lot of saturated fat. And that's... That's kind of where it starts to become an issue for me. It's like, well, maybe it's not the best idea. And people are like, oh, you're going to eat bacon left and right. And like, yeah, I like bacon every now and then, but you can't eat that for your entire diet. And it's a poor quality source of protein. Oh, God, it's awful. In comparison to chicken, dairy, and eggs, it is probably one of the worst on the scale as far as the quality protein. Yeah, the nitrogen retention, I don't remember what it is, but it's, it's not good. It's low. The only benefit of pork is it tastes really freaking good. By yeah, I, I you never see any bodybuilder prioritize pork in their diet. No, it's either turkey, chicken, or eggs. Yeah, and, and steak. Yeah, and steak. You know, for because who doesn't like steak? So I mean, I think realistically, uh, I don't. I don't think I could choose one. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I, I like I like to eat meat definitely, but I can't make my entire diet like that. No, everything in moderation for me, pal. Yeah. So. There you have it. Those are answers to our rapid fire fitness questions. Remember, if you'd like to submit your own question to please go to any of the links in our bio and go to our link tree and click on that first tab at the top that says submit your fitness rapid fire questions. Be sure to include your name and a way for us to contact you so we can let you know which episode your question will be featured. All right. I think that's all that we got for this episode. That's all we got for today. Look forward to our next podcast, which will be back in the realm of sleep, talking about mobile tech and its influence on your sleep, your health, and your circadian rhythms. Join us back then. Thanks for listening. All right. See you guys.